The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting, management, or its sponsors. Welcome to Healthy Lifestyle with Lorianne. I am Coach Lorianne. Welcome to the show. I hope you guys are having a great day. As you know, our goal here at Healthy Lifestyle is to inspire, educate, and empower you to fulfill a healthy, emotional, spiritual, and physical life so you can feel empowered to live the life you have always wanted and dreamed. I hope you're having a good day. And today on Healthy Lifestyle, we're going to light you up with some verbal caffeine and all kinds of possibilities. But our guest today, one of my faves is Jeff Goldberg. He's a head coach and trainer at JGNA, where they're helping individuals and organizations attain measurable and sustainable sales increases. He's an award-winning sales professional with almost five decades of sales, sales management, training, and coaching experiencing experience. Looking at him, you would never know that. Jeff's had the opportunity to teach, coach, mentor, speak internationally in front of tens of thousands of sales professionals, ranging from financially successful veterans to the most junior new hires in a diverse array of industries. And I will tell you, he is a treat because he really is so kind, even when he's delivering the most maybe not happy news to you. So he's a kind, kind soul. Jeff's also a co-author of two books, Leverage Your Laziness and How to Be Your Own Coach. He also is a stand-up comedian, whoop, whoop, the proud father of three terrific kids, and he lives on Long Island with a crazy pug named Duke. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Coach. Lori, I am so excited to be with you today. I'm so glad that you're here. And I, I just, you know, I love speaking to other coaches. You know that. And we've spoken a number of times before. And you're always inspiring to me. And and that's always nice to be around and yummy. So, so I know that, you know, as coaches, we all have our rituals. Do you have a morning ritual? Well, as a matter of fact, I do. Um, obviously, you know, I do the normal things when I wake up. I go to the bathroom and wash my face and stuff like that. Uh, but uh you can only see half of them over my shoulder. That's my. That's a picture that my daughter, one of my daughters, drew of my pug Duke. And uh, of course, I have to walk him every morning because. Thank God he didn't hear that. Otherwise, he would have jumped up and we would have gone had a go out right now. But uh, as I'm doing that, uh, W A L King through the neighborhood, I have a smile on my face, like literally a smile, and I'm saying stuff to myself out loud. It takes about ten minutes, and I say the same exact things. Everything every single morning, setting up my day for success is what I call it. And it's simple things like, um, today's going to be a great day. Only incredibly wonderful things are going to happen to myself and my family today. And then I have this whole litany of things that I say about my family and my health and my financial wellness and all, all that kind of stuff and how I'm going to serve others. And that's how I start my day every day. And I find that that's a much better way than the majority of human beings wake up, which is, I can't believe I have to go to freaking work again today. I just think it's more powerful. And uh, does every day go perfectly? Absolutely not. But I have way more great days than I think the average human being does. And I believe it's partly because I set up my day every morning for success. Yeah, without a doubt. And and what you're talking about are, in my little languaging is um, affirmations. You're, you're sure. right. You're saying affirmations out loud, how you want your day to be. And um, it's like when you get up and you stub your toe and you're like, oh, this is how my day is going to be. Well, that is going to be your day. It's going to be a bad day because of how you languaged it, what you put out in the universe. And also you set your own expectations. So that's why 
expectations become your reality. So it, by you starting with that that smile, you always have a smile on your face. You're just a happy soul. Um, I I love that about you. But th- but those are really important. So other than setting your day like that, why do you start your day like that? I know why. Before, before we get to that, the, the smile on my face is a, a deliberate strategy. Uh, I've got nothing in particular to smile about or not smile about in the morning. But when you smile, it starts to release the, you know, the happy chemicals in your brain. So I'm walking. I know I look like an idiot when I do this, but I'm going to have a great day. Only great things are going to happen. I mean, I'm actually getting the endorphins and all that stuff going, uh, the dopamine, so that it's actually creating that great day for me. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a deliberate strategy. And I have a feeling that at least some of my neighbors probably think, who is that madman that walks through the streets smiling at six o'clock in the morning? But that's me. Well, I'll tell you that it's none of your business what anybody else thinks. So it doesn't matter anyway. So you just keep smiling through the neighborhood because you're probably making other people smile. Your smile is very catchy. Most people's are. So that's a that's a really good thing. So so you set yourself up this way and you, you start your day this way. But did you have a happy childhood? Actually, not too great. <laughs> uh, my father was uh, a crazy person. When I say crazy, I don't mean wacky. I mean, he literally spent time in mental institutions. He was a disturbed human being and uh, it, it was not happy. Uh, I was beaten as a child and uh, he was a screamer and a holler. He was bipolar. So uh, if you've ever dealt with that, I'm sure you have. Uh, you, know, you just never know what's going to happen. Is he going to be sweet, happy daddy today or is he going to be, you know, Lucifer incarnate? And yeah. I just never knew. Um, obviously, that. Yeah, it's it's very difficult to deal with. You're always walking on eggshells. And at a very young age, it's nearly impossible for, for you. Uh, my poor mother had to deal with that, uh, as well as, you know, taking care of myself and my sister. So no, it was not the happiest childhood in the world. Although I certainly have many happy memories, but there's a lot of stuff that wasn't so happy, including uh, one time, one of his six wives, when he remarried, uh, came from a very wealthy family. And uh, you know, here's the kind of thing that sticks in your brain. I remember going to one of their very wealthy relatives, huge home for Christmas, and everybody got these fantastic, I mean, magnificent gifts. And I was like, oh my God, I've never seen anything like this. And there was nothing for me and my sister. And, you know, somebody kind of elbowed the other and they found like a, a puzzle in a box that they gave to the two of us. So it's that kind of thing, you know, the, the, I, why do they have and I don't have? Why do I get beaten? You know, what did I ever do? So it was not the most happy childhood in the world, no. And that sets up that sets up our blocks because our our, our blocks come between the ages of two and twelve, scientifically indicated, right? Um, and it's not because anybody's setting out to do bad things. It's like I'm gonna make Jeff feel really bad today. Nobody does that. But I, I mean, I know I have a writing block or had a writing block as a result of an English teacher saying something to me about how terrible my writing was. And it was junior high school and it stayed with me through most of my adult life until I had someone in law school, uh, my legal uh, writing professor say to me, why do you like your face almost melts off every time I give an assignment? And I was like, because it just terrifies me that I have to write because I'm so terrible. She's like, who said that? And I told her the story and she said, you have syntax issues and that's what we hire editors for. Don't worry about it. You got the concepts, you got the ideas, so just do it. And she just took that not happy situation and made it better just by her encouragement. So it's amazing. We need to be mindful how we speak to each other, right? And those experiences that you had as not a happy child, now you're morphing into starting each day with a smile on your face. And, you know, you weren't born 
with a happy, unhappy childhood. You were born into it, but you are who you are, right? So you're tapping into that greatness of Jeff, right? Yeah, well, I, I've invested a lot of time and money in doing that. I was very fortunate. Um, and by the way, before I tell you, I have to just quickly, because I don't want to forget, um, I can't tell you how many times teachers told me, what do you think? You're a funny young man. You're the class clown. Yeah. And now I'm a stand-up comedian. So you know. great. We, I can't wait <laughs> you're to not talk. funny, Mr. Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the thing I heard most often in school was, I, I think you know the way to the principal's office, Mr. Goldberg. So, uh, yeah. Now I forgot the other question. I'm sorry. It's all good. No, it's, you know, you had a, obviously a challenging childhood, needless to say. Um, and and you, yet you still found your way through and and you start your day with these beautiful affirmations that set your the set the tone for the day. And then you go out and you help other people, which is, you know, what we do. We help our former selves. Right. Um, so that that what made you at what point where was that pivot where was that transition point where you went from i'm just going to help other people because i i and i'm sure your thought process was similar to mine which is i just don't want anybody to feel the way i did yeah, i don't know that there was a conscious thought about that but i can tell you where my personal development journey started uh, i mean laughter was always a you know a defense mechanism for me making people laugh makes people like you but um at the age of I think it was my senior year of high school, so I guess 17 or 18 years old, uh, a friend of mine, Ronnie, uh, went and took the EST, EST training, uh, oh, yeah. which for people who aren't familiar with it is now called the Landmark Forum. And when Ronnie got done taking this two weekends and one night training and was back in school, when I was with Ronnie, it was like being at a party. And I knew that when I wasn't with Ronnie, he was still at the party and I wasn't, and I wanted to be at the party. So I took the S training and I got very involved with those people. Uh, I invested a lot of time and money. I spent 10 years with those people uh, managing seminars, taking programs. I mean, doing advanced stuff, phenomenal, life-changing stuff. And since then, I've invested tens of thousands of dollars and hundreds and hundreds of hours in seminar rooms, just learning from gurus. Uh, if you know the name James Arthur Ray, I spent a lot of time with James uh, and people like him just learning as much as I could, reading books uh, about transformation and striving to be the best person, the best Jeff I could possibly be. Yeah. I also was incredibly fortunate. Jeez, this must be about eight years ago now. I was introduced to a coach who was life-changing. All that personal development stuff was incredibly useful. None of it really made a long-lasting change in terms of my overall financial success, which is often what I was striving for. Yeah. Um, and and <laughs> I, I was introduced to this coach. Uh, I was. <laughs> it's funny. So as I was working as an outsourced sales manager for a client, and the client sat me down one day and goes, "We're going to start working with this coach. Would you work with her if I paid for it?" I said, "Why do you think I need a coach?" He goes, "Everybody." He said, "Everybody needs a coach, and yes. uh, I'm willing to pay for it. Are you open to it?" I said, "Sure, I'll meet with her." Well, he introduced me to this. Um, she's made more difference in my life than. Well, actually, I'll take that back. I've made more difference in my life out of the work I did with Liz Bentley than yeah. every and oh, anything I else I did. You know, Liz. Yes. So you know what I'm talking about. Uh, the interesting thing to me, well, one of the many interesting things about me is in our very initial conversation, she goes. Um, if you're going to work with me because you want to make more money, don't. Don't work with me because you want to make more money. Work with me because you want to be the best possible version of Jeff. However, I'll tell you this, everybody who works with me makes more money. Absolutely. Well, 
same track yeah. on me. We have similar tracks. We have similar experiences. So, yeah, simply, I, simply astounding. I, I absolutely make way more money than I did before I started yeah. working with. Well, this. and you need to you need to become the best version of you. The money will follow. Money will follow you if if that's always your your first intention. It's not going to be what you think it's going to be. But when you are just working on yourself, you will find the area that you're going to serve. And that's the money will follow every single time, every single time. I love that. But that just leads me to another question, because you mentioned that you were you were in sales, you were outsourcing. How did you get into sales? I accident like almost everybody else does. Uh, I had zero direction in life. I was uh, going to Baruch College because my guidance counselor in high school said, you should be an accountant. Uh, I never liked numbers. Ooh, but I, and I don't like math. <laughs> exactly. Well, I actually failed geometry in high school twice. And she called me in and said, look, you're not going to graduate on time. You got to do something. And I'm like, I don't understand X and Y. I understand one plus one equals two, but X and Y make no sense. And of course, geometry is angles and X and Y. Yeah. She goes, why don't you take accounting? Maybe you'll do well at that. And I got straight hundreds because debit this, credit that, one plus one equals two. So she called me back in and said, you should go to Baruch College, city of New York. It's an accounting school. You should be an accountant. I had no direction in life whatsoever. So I said, okay, I'll go to Baruch College and I'll, I'll be an accountant. Well, here's what I find out. Because I had not passed geometry in high school, I now had to take a full year of no credit geometry and college accounting is formula. So I quickly discovered that was not going to be my life. And I got a part-time job at a furniture store a block away from the college uh, in customer service, you know, ordering things and dealing with complaints and stuff like that. And one day uh, on a Saturday, one of the salespeople didn't show up. He was sick. And we were very busy. And the owner came to me and said, Jeff, go sell those people. And I said, I don't know how to sell. And he, he, I'll often exaggerate a story to make a point. There's no exaggeration here. He handed me a legal pad and a pen. He went like this, literally, smile a lot, follow them around the showroom, write down what they want, come back and tell me what they want, and I'll give you the prices. By the way, I have to preface it with my father, my stepfather, and both grandfathers were all career salespeople who never really made any money in their lives. And I swore, swore under no circumstances will I ever, ever become a salesperson. And 48 years later, I not only still sell, I train other people how to sell. So that's how I fell into sales. Yeah, yeah, that's amazing. Why, you know, I, I know this from, because I, I I don't really enjoy the term sales. I do business development um, because it just feels nicer than sales. Sales to me is like a t-shirt seller or a used car sale, seller. But why do salespeople have such bad reputation? Help us figure this out because the poor people in sales, and they're usually generally like the kindest, nicest people for the most part. They're the kindest, nicest people who are just trying to help you and make a living. So why do they have bad reputations? You know, we and we do. And, uh, you know, salespeople and trainers, we talk about this all the time. It's because certainly years ago when I started, there were way more unscrupulous people who were willing to lie, cheat, steal, say and do anything to reach their hand into your pocket, pull out those green pieces of paper with dead presidents on them and put them in their own pockets. And they would say and do anything. And I, I'm embarrassed to admit it, but up until the age of 31, I was certainly that type of salesperson. Now, I didn't always have to do that in everything I did, but there were certainly jobs where my job was to lie, cheat and steal and take advantage of people. And at the age of 31, I made a commitment to never again lie, cheat or steal to make money or to, pardon my French, but have sex with a woman. Yeah. Uh, well, what made what made the what made you pivot? What why at 31 did you pivot? It was the six day advanced course from the uh, est people. 
uh, I, I went to that. One of the things they do before their programs is you fill out a form, you say what your intention is. And I wrote down my intention is to have 100% integrity in my life. Uh, did not remember that, by the way, going in. But during that program, I shaved off my mustache, called my landlord, quit my job, called my landlord and said, you know, I'm away. I'm coming back Monday, but I just want you to know I quit my job. I'm not going to be able to pay the rent this month. And so I'll be moving out. And he said, are you doing the right thing? I said, hundred percent. He goes, don't worry about the rent. We'll figure it out. I mean, just miracles start happening when you take a stand for integrity. Violent, so, divinely guided. Yes, yes, yes. When you're standing yeah, so, for integrity. Yeah. So, you know, we have a bad reputation because of so many people and so, you know, commercials and how we're manipulative and all stuff like that. Now, I don't teach people to do, I teach people the opposite. You can sell with integrity. In fact, you should. One of the things to me is you got to be able to sleep at night. And if, you, if you're selling something and you can't do it with integrity, go find something else to sell. Yeah. So well, you we have do to have believe a bad in the product. You have to believe in what you're selling. You can't, like, I can't, I can't sell anything that I don't believe in. I, ju I just, I won't. It's and not a chance. Yes. I won't, you know. Absolutely so, not. Yeah, I won't do that because it's just not in integrity. It doesn't feel good. And that's how, I, you know, some people ask me, well, how do you know? And I was like, it doesn't feel good. You, you, you know it right in the center of your chest. It does not feel good. And, and, and you'll start getting sick. It'll actually make you sick. Um, and so all those things are big indicators and the sicker you get, the farther away from who you're supposed to be, you are going. So, um, so, so I, I get that, but I, I love that you, you teach salespeople to not do that. And you made that turn at 31, which is amazing. It had to be more than just writing it on a piece of paper. It had to be something else in your life, set that off. So let's, let's dig deep here, Jeff, you know, really, uh, what was it or they, who they did it? They did an exercise. Oh, so when you first arrived, at the six day advanced course used to be held upstate at this retreat. And when you arrived, you walked, they gave you instructions. You're going to walk into a room. You're going to stop at the line. There's going to be a camera there and you're going to say your name. And, you know, I've got the exact instructions, but you had to go through this thing. And then uh, I think about halfway through the, the program, it was six days, about halfway through, there's 300 of us in this seminar room and uh, they're calling people up to the front to kind of process them, you know, ask them questions and blah, blah, blah. And um, I'm thinking, wow, I wonder if they're going to call on me. So the first guy who goes up uh, was the guy who walked in right before me because I, I remembered him. And, you know, they worked with him for about 10 minutes and then they called me up and I was up there for an hour and a half. Uh, I was crying. I'm, I'm almost crying now, remembering it. Half the audience was crying because I admitted all kinds of bad shit that I had done in my life. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the thing that you had to say when you looked at the camera was, what's your act? What's your act? And I said, my act is I'm a good boy. And so I get up there and he goes, so you said you're a good, they actually showed the video and it says, I'm a good boy. He goes, so are you a good boy? I said, yeah, I'm a good boy. He goes, have you ever done anything bad in your life? And an hour and a half later, I had just like come clean about everything, every yeah. horrible, horrible thing. I, now, I don't want to make myself out to be a rapist or a killer or anything like that, but I'd certainly done stuff that I'm well beyond not proud of. Yeah. And so it, I, it, I think everybody has, but, but the, the, the metamorphosis that you go through when you say it out loud, you realize yeah. it. Um, it's like, oh, you know, and I, at that very moment, you have a choice to continue being that 
or changing that. And it sounds to me that you were like, I don't want that anymore. And we talk about this here is that you got to understand what you don't want before you understand what you do want. And that exercise is brilliant because you have to say it out loud. You have to be honest with yourself. Forget about the other people in the room. It has nothing to do with them. It has to do with you being honest with yourself and you were for over an hour. And that's yeah. beautiful. And it's getting the poison. It's like, you know, squeezing a zit and getting the the the, the pus out. And it just all came. I mean, Pretty it was thanks a mess for the after visual, that. By the way. People came up afterwards. I, I saw my brother and you. I saw my husband. I mean, it, it was like, and that, I left that room and immediately shaved my mustache and called my, uh, my uh, landlord. It was just life-changing in that moment. And part of the lesson for me was you can change your life in an instant by yes. making a conscious decision and speaking it into reality. At, I said, I will no longer lie to blah, blah, blah. It was just magnificent. That's that's beautiful. Yeah. And that's how we jump the hurdle of the mistakes that we've made in the past, forgiving ourselves and moving on because we're taking that that decisive choice to move on, right? So, and that's absolutely um, one of those places where I call it, we pivot in life, where you're making a choice to go in the opposite direction of where you are right now because it doesn't feel good. It didn't feel good. And you got up there. How good did you feel when you were done with that and you made that decision? Like right after you called that landlord, how did you feel? Like physically lighter, as if I had lost 100 pounds. I, I mean, it, it was it was almost like floating. Uh. And, and up until that point, by the way, actually for the whole thing, I was like in last in everything. We did an exercise. We would run every day. I would come in last. How much weight you lost? I lost the least amount of weight, but I came across, I came out a winner as far as I'm concerned because my life shifted like 180 degrees. In a oh moment. my goodness. that That's so beautiful. And we're going to float into a little break and we're going to come back with Jeff Goldberg, who is going to continue to dazzle us with his story. I love this story. It's wonderful. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Healthy Lifestyle with Lorianne. I am Coach Lorianne. If you'd like to be a guest or lift up your business product or non-for-profit, you're in the right place. Or if you have a question or comment, just email us at healthylifestylewithla at gmail.com. That's healthylifestylewithla at gmail.com. You know I answer every email personally, and I love hearing from you and love having you on the show. So come on down. Give me an email, drop an email in there, and we'll be happy to um, chat. I would love to talk to you. Now, we're here talking to Jeff, um, and he is so amazing. You are. You really are, Jeff. You're, you're so amazing. It's Jeff Goldberg, um, and your website is jgsalespro.com. And I, I love, you know, and if you're loving this conversation like I am, definitely reach out to him because he can really take you to the next level, your team to the next level. Um, that's without a doubt. But I love what you're saying. And I love the honesty that you always bring to any conversation that we have. I, I love that about you. But I wanted to ask this question in the last segment is what's the most common challenges that keep salespeople from being successful and 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 at the level they want it to be? There are several. Uh, the first one is that 
they're not prospecting enough. This is the number one challenge I see with every coaching client that comes to me and every training client. Their salespeople are simply not seeing enough prospects. And it makes no difference how good you are at selling. Look, I'm expert level. I always say, I'm so good at selling that people pay me to teach them how to sell, but I don't close everybody. If as good as I am and with all the experience that I have, I can't close enough business unless I'm speaking to enough prospects because nobody closes 100%. It's not good math, right? It's what? It's a napkin, what I call napkin math. Yeah, you exactly have to speak right. to this many people of which you'll get this many responses and rejections of which you'll get this many closes. How many of those do you need to do in order to reach your to reach your goal? So yeah, it's napkin. You have, to, you have to know your numbers. You have to know your metrics. So the first thing is that salespeople simply are not prospecting enough because prospecting is a pain. It's massive rejection most of the time and nobody wants to do it. So not prospecting enough. The second one is poorly managing their time. Uh, mm. I, I hear that when I do live programs, and that's a lot of what I do, uh, I always start the day with introducing myself. Then I ask people to introduce themselves to me and ask them in their introduction, tell me what's your biggest sales challenge. And it doesn't usually take very long before somebody in the room goes, time management, I can't get enough done every day. And then the rest of the room goes, oh yeah, time management, that's my biggest problem too. And I have a method called calendarization where I teach people how to manage their time more effectively, but most people just aren't. They're often choosing to do things that are not what I call RGAs, revenue generating activities. Yes. They're doing the thing that's the most fun for them or the easiest, which is not necessarily the thing that's most likely to result in income. So they don't focus on that. And the other thing is they're coming from the wrong place. If you go into sales to make money, that should be secondary. Certainly, nobody goes into sales to not make money, but you should go into sales because you truly like helping people, because you truly want to serve others. And I don't say that to be altruistic. I love helping people and I love serving others and I love getting paid for doing it. But if you're come from, and I'm pointing to my gut right now, deep inside your gut isn't, I'm here to help you if I possibly can, then go find something else to do. Certainly not professional sales. You know what? Go work at McDonald's. You know, they'll give you the headset and you the drive through. Would you like fries with that? That's selling too. You're not going to make a hundred or two hundred or three hundred thousand dollars a year, but right. do something like that. But most people that, that fail, they're doing it because they fell into it by accident. They don't have the right come from. And the fourth thing is they never treated sales like a real career. Uh, every time I go to my doctor, which is thankfully only once a year because I'm very healthy, he's always got books on his desk. When I go to see one of my lawyers, which I try to do as little as possible, they have books up. They're, they're constantly studying. Yes. Well, I, one of the reasons I became good at sales is yes, I had some of the characteristics which tend to make you more successful in sales, but I treated it as a career. I, I read every book. Well, I read many of the books that come out on sales to this day, 48 years later. I still go to seminars. I'm on YouTube watching other people's stuff because I don't know everything and you never know when somebody else has figured out something that might help. So yeah. not taking it seriously and not realizing that it has the potential to put almost unlimited amounts of money in, in your pocket. I'm a college dropout. And as we Jewish people say, I do okay. And I'll share this with you, Lorianne. My stepfather, who was, was a career salesperson, and even though he wasn't highly successful, he said something that has stuck with me all these years. He said, Jeff, sales is a great career, and here's why. Every single day, you get to wake up, look yourself in the mirror, and give yourself a raise. And then all you have to do is go out and earn it. That stuck with me all these uh -huh. years. Yes. Every day I wake up, give myself a raise, and I go out and earn it by serving other people. Yes. Can I ask you a question, Coach Laura? Yes, of course. 
Perfect. So this is about health and wellness, right? So, well, this is about I, I, this is about a healthy lifestyle, meaning you're fulfilling yourself in all different ways. Yeah, got it. So, weight loss. Um, I struggle with it. I lose weight, then I gain it back. I lose weight, then I gain it back, and it takes commitment, just like everything else, and discipline. And how how much discipline is discipline in unlimited supply? I mean, if we're being disciplined about our business and our relationships, do we have enough discipline left over? Because I often talk to my coaching clients about the word commitment. I don't care what you want. I don't care what you hope for. I don't care what you dream about. I don't care about what you wish for. All I care about is what are you willing to commit to? So what's I want to lose weight. I know how to lose weight. But if I was committed, I'd be eating less food, exercising more and drinking more water. And right now I'm just not doing it, even though I'd like to lose 25, 30. I'm not grossly overweight, but I feel better when I'm about 25, 30 pounds. So how do we get that discipline and commitment when it seems to be in short supply? So what's the difference between discipline and commitment? I don't know that there's any. I don't think there is any. So look at look at what it is. So so you can have as much commitment to yourself as you want to have. And I'm going to change your languaging a little bit. So if we lose something, we try to find it again. So in our own brains, if we release the weight, then our brains aren't looking for it anymore. So that's just a mindset that allows us to release it and keep it off. And anybody who has changed that that thought process has seen great success in doing whatever it is that, that it is that they're doing. There's so many different ways to to release that weight, right? Um, and and I would also say, don't fall into this gazillion dollar business. Um, everybody wants that fast, quick fix, and that's not how it's done. So it's about making a commitment, commitment to yourself. When you make that commitment to yourself to lose the weight, you're going to go and you're going to remember that commitment to yourself because who's important you are to you, of course, as well as the commitment to be healthy for your family, your children, for your family. That adds an extra level of what you and I would call, you know, Italian guilt, Jewish guilt, whatever. It's the same thing. Um, it adds a little guilt there that reminds you, oh, you know, if I'm not going to put myself first, I will put my children first. So you add that little extra commitment to yourself about that. When you go to choose food, you will remember that. So that discipline um, is a great word because it, it keeps us in alignment, right? It keeps us in line, but that's a school word. Commitment is something you make to yourself. So that that's kind of how, how how I do that. And I love that you asked that question because it's, um, it's something that I wrangle with with my clients as well. It's just like, well, you know, I, I, I really want to do this. Well, then do it. It's, it's similar to a story I got from uh, my coach, which is Jack Canfield. And Jack said, yeah, I was on with my coach and I told him I wanted to release weight. And he goes, great, drop and give me give me 20. And he went, what? No, I don't mean the second. He goes, no, what, do you, what are you waiting for? Do it right now put the phone down and give me 20. And he's like, well, okay. And that's that's what we're talking about. If you're going to make that commitment, do it now. We don't wait till Mondays. We I used to do that. I'll do that on Monday. Oh, I blew it. I ate that candy bar. I'll start again on Monday. Those are just what I refer to my book coming out, justifiable excuses. And we're so good at it. It's a justifiable excuse. Well, I already wrecked the day. I might as well just really have at it. You're just compounding the situation and you know it. We know the answers. All our answers are already inside. All our success codes are predestined internally. We're just taught to go external for validation, for our success, things like all we have to do is go inside. And we know. And that's why as coaches, we bring them back to themselves and they already know their answers. We don't tell people as coaches. We make suggestions. 
they make decisions. Our clients make decisions. And, and that's by bringing back, going back to center, going back to lighting up that child inside who already knows what they want to do, who already knows what their destination is, right? So we just have to tap back in there and go back into our our inner child, our intuition, however you want to refer to it. We want to go back to heart center. I'm pointing to my heart for those people who can't see. Um, so, so you just want to go back in there. And that's what we do as coaches. So the same thing with whenever we set out goals, the goals aren't there to set us up to fail. Goals are there to give us something to, to have benchmarks to see if we're doing well. Otherwise, we could just be doing the same thing and in that little hamster wheel. And that's why we don't get out of our own way because we're caught in this hamster wheel, not doing things like RGA, right? We're not doing things that are producing revenue. I, I do it. I did it for a while. I was doing all these other things, feeling really yummy, helping people out. That was great, but not doing anything for my business. Helping other people, and but not doing things for my own business to take those steps forward to enable me to help more people. It wasn't a selfish intent. It was a, it was an excuse because I wasn't sure what my next step was. So when you find yourself not do, not being in your zone of genius and you're doing all these other external things, think about if you're just doing a justifiable excuse because you've hit a wall and you're not sure where to turn. That's the best time for you to talk to your coach. That's the best time for you to get someone in your life to help you through that because everybody, I don't have all the answers. You don't have all the answers, but there's someone that's going to be able to guide you over that little hurdle that you're just using as a roadblock. And then we make all these other excuses. Well, yes, folding the laundry for my kids is a very justifiable excuse. It's a very important thing I had to do. I took it very seriously, but I didn't have to do it Wednesday during my work day. I, I could have done it another time. So I realized at that point, who was I avoiding? And what I was avoiding was making a very hard phone call. I was fearful of what the answer was. The longer I pushed it off, I didn't have to hear that answer. And so I wasn't, I was like, okay, this is great. I didn't hear that answer yet. And I was thinking all the things he could say and all these things and all the reasons why he wouldn't say yes. And I was just torturing myself for two weeks. And then I was like, stop it, go upstairs, make the phone call and get it done. Rip the bandaid off. It's good. The answer is going to be the same. Day one, day 16. Answer is going to be the same. And sure enough, it, you know, it was, a, it was the shortest telephone conversation ever because they were like, yeah, okay. So <laughs> I tortured so myself, to right? It, it, it's so funny to hear my words coming out of your mouth because <laughs> I've given the same advice to eight million, you know, make a decision, make a commitment, get an accountability partner. It, it, it's so fun. Yeah. You know what? I, I love what Dr. Maxwell Malt says about goals, you know, in, in his uh his great book, um, uh, Psycho-Cybernetics, you know, he says we're born with a success mechanism in our brain. We actually pop out of the womb born to be successful, but the success mechanism that we're born with needs something to focus on. That's your goal. So thank, thank you. I didn't mean to hijack this interview, but I, I, ha I had the time, so I had to ask. Yeah, no, no, no. You didn't hijack it at all. I love that. You know, and I, I, I say our success codes similar to that are, are, are already embedded in us when we're born, right? Same, same philosophy. Here's the difference. We have this really cool thing in the back of our brain. Uh, I won't get into the technical things about it, but it's the fight or flight type thing that keeps us safe. Like when a bear is coming at us, we go, uh oh, and we run or, 
you know, probably shouldn't do that either, but that's a different conversation <laughs> that I'm not an expert at. But when we have something, we know that if a car is coming at us, we need to step back because we don't want it to run us over, right? So we have that mechanism. The problem with that mechanism is it gets in, in the way of our success codes. It gets in the way of all those things that we're destined to do. And if we allow it to overtake us, we don't stay in our train track. So those are the justifiable excuses. Those are the things that when we feel that fear, tell me the difference. I'm going to, I'm going to throw it right back at you. Tell me the difference between fear and stress. Is there a difference? Fear and stress. Fear and stress. Wow. Nothing's coming up from that. The answer is, yeah. I don't know. Is there a difference? I, 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 in, in through, I've been studying this for about two years now, and I don't think that there's a difference. I think we use them interchangeably, um, that people are stressed out. Why are they stressed out? What's making them stressed? Because they're fearful of an outcome or they're fearful of what's coming. They're fearful of the unknown that stresses us out, right? So is it really a different thing or are we just using it interchangeably? Cause I, I know when I'm stressed, I'm fearing something. I'm I think there's a difference. Go ahead. And, and I think there's a difference. And the way I look at fear, and I didn't make this up, this is actually from the six-day advanced course at, during the S training, because uh, you have to do some scary things at this thing. Like we would, you know, we uh, rappelled uh, down a mountain and uh, uh, over a lake. and uh, you know, that fire walk. I got it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so uh, what the trainer said was, look at fear. Like the old cartoons used to have, like with an angel on one shoulder that's whispering in your ear and a devil on the other shoulder whispering in your ear. Just look at fear as the devil that's whispering in your ear and simply turn to the devil and say, thank you for sharing and I'm going to do it anyways. Um, as, I've used that yeah. so many times in my life, including uh, one of my dreams and goals was to jump out of an airplane. I wanted to go skydiving. And for seven years in a row, I got a bunch of friends to agree, we're going to go on this particular date. And for six years in a row, people would call me the day before, oh, I can't make it. They had always had an excuse. And on that seventh year, I said, I don't care if nobody else is going, I'm going this year. And it turned out several people did come with me. Now, um, they train you. I, I wanted to free fall. There's two ways to jump out of an airplane. You could free fall, which means you're jumping out yep. and pulling your chute. Or you can go tandem, which means you've got an instructor attached to you. Yeah. I wanted to free fall. So you go up to this place. It was right by Hunter, New York. And um, they train you on what to do for eight hours. And then you jump the first day. And for seven and a half hours of the training, you're sitting in a chair and falling onto a gym mat to go into that position you've seen on, on TV. You know, Because if you do that, everything's going to go right. So for seven and a half hours, we practiced doing that. And then for a half an hour, the other thing was, Here's how you get pull your emergency chute in case the main chute doesn't work. So they take us up. I jump out of the airplane. And I, 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 this is a 20-minute story, which I'm going to shorten. Uh, and I'm so overwhelmed by what I'm seeing that I forgot to do the thing that they had taught me to do for seven and a half hours. Now, there's nobody attached to me, but there's two guys holding handles on my suit, instructors. And we're flipping head over heels, head over heels, sky earth, sky earth. And before I even realized what was going on, uh, one guy just left me and the other guy pulled himself in front of me, waved at me, pulled my ripcord for me, and then I went down. My point in this that was that when we, I was sitting with my legs hanging out of the airplane with these two instructors next to me, I don't want to be gross, but if I didn't squeeze my booty, I might have pooped my pants. I mean, I was terrified and I'm not scared of heights, but I don't know if you've ever sat two and a half miles up with your legs hanging out of an airplane. It was pretty scary. I try scary. not to do that. <laughs> I try to keep my legs <laughs> in the ride at all times. <laughs> exactly. But I just said to myself, you know what? 
Thank you for sharing. I'm doing this anyways. And Good for you. I, can't, I can't tell you how many times that has served me well, especially in the days of disco, I used to be a good dancer. And, you know, sometimes I'd be at a club and I'd be looking across the dance floor. Oh, she's way too good looking. I can't ask her. And then I go, wait a minute, you've jumped out of an airplane from two and a half miles up. I think you can do this too. So fear can actually be a powerful motivator if you use it correctly. Without a doubt, without a doubt. I love that. I agree that without a doubt. I I'll love tell that. you one more funny thing about that, Lorianne. The yes. very next day I went on vacation and as I was getting off the plane, you know, the pilots there and the flight attendants are there, bye-bye, bye-bye, all that. And th being what I thought was a big shot, you know, uh, I said, hey, Cap, uh, I went skydiving for the first time yesterday. Is there any place here on St. Martin that I can go skydiving? And he looked at me and deadpan said, why would you want to jump out of a perfectly good airplane? Seriously. <laughs> That was definitely my question is like, uh, no, that's why I keep my arms and legs in the right at all times. So there's no reason. And I love St. Martin, by the way, I used to go there every quarter uh, before I had kids. Love, love, love it. Um, I need to know this. Um, how did you get into stand up comedy? I mean, obviously, you're you're very enjoyable. You're very funny. You're just you just have that knack about. It. But how'd you get into that? And where can people see you? So, thank you. For it goes back to my coach once again. So uh, I was talking to Liz one day about um, self-sabotage uh, because I'm I'm professional, but more, well, I do full day seminars quite often and you have to do something to keep people awake. Uh, you know, as fascinating as I think I am, you know, to listen to me drone on for eight hours could be a, a little uh, tedious after a while. So I've always used humor to keep people awake and involved during the day. And I just think funny thoughts. I'm just a funny guy. And um more than once, I'm, uh, you know, not on purpose, more than once in my career, I've stepped over the line and later on gotten the beckoning finger from human resources. Did you say this in front of our team today? Yeah, I knew I shouldn't have, as it came out of my mouth. Never happened again, I guarantee it. Liz and I are talking about that. And she said, um, why don't you go do stand-up comedy? Uh, you can say whatever you want, get it out of your system so that you don't say the wrong thing in front of a corporate audience. And this was two years ago. I said, Liz, I'm 66 years old. I'm not changing careers at the age of 66. And she said, Jeff, they do it at night. Go work during the day, then go have fun at night. And sure enough, I immediately signed up for a class. And six weeks later, I was standing in front of 300 people at Governors in Levittown. Uh and heaven, just it, it's, I, I wish I had figured out, you know, earlier on that I could actually make a career out of it. Uh, it's, it's just, it, it's addictive. Uh, I love giving people the gift of laughter. It, yeah. It's truly a, a blessing. When people laugh at your joke, first of all, it feels great to you, but you're giving truly it's a gift. I mean, people go to a comedy club to have this shared experience and laugh. And yeah. it's it's a lot of pressure, but it's so much fun when you're able to do it. Yeah. And you get to, you know, the observations that you make are just you know, dead dog on and they're fun. And and honestly, a pro tip for speaking is to have some energy and comedy in what you do. I so appreciate the time that we have together. I can't believe our time is gone. I, I feel like we haven't even touched the, the surface of our conversation and what you can really lend to our listeners. Jeff Goldberg, uh, J, it's jgsalespro.com. Thank you so much for being on. Appreciate you so much. Last thoughts, real quick. Uh, thank you for having me. I appreciate you. You're a blessing. I'm, and I'm so happy that I was introduced to you. Thank you for being uh, in my life. Thank you for being in mine. And thank you all for joining us today on Healthy Lifestyle with Lorianne. I hope we earned the pri privilege of your time. Again, I want to thank our, our guest, Jeff Goldberg, for coming on. Look for our show next Saturday at 3 p.m. We can be found on all major platforms. And we would be grateful if you please like, follow, share, and subscribe. Until next time, I am Coach Lorianne. Play a higher role, serve a higher purpose, show up for you, and show up big.
Thanks again, Jeff. Thank you. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station, JVC Broadcasting Management, or its sponsors.